morning, everyone. I am excited this morning to be able to study with you on the topic of the church. Our reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. So if you brought your Bibles this morning, go ahead and turn there. And let's read that together. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. There, the Scriptures say, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, What do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. The gates of Hades shall not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. When we talk about the ministry of Jesus, uh, we often divide it up into three separate stages. Uh, maybe even three separate years, you could say. And the first year is sometimes called the year of obscurity. And during this year, uh, Jesus is just starting His ministry. He's just beginning uh, His ministry. People don't really know who He is yet. Uh, They're just starting to recognize His teachings and His actions. And the second year uh, is known as the year of favor. And this is when people finally start to realize who this Jesus is, and His popularity is growing, and He's he's pretty much always got a crowd around Him, and He's performing miracles all the time, and they're they're watching for miracles, and they're listening for um, His amazing preaching style that they've never heard before. And then there's the final year, uh, the year of adversity, and this is the year, well, when people start to realize that there are some serious implications of what Jesus is teaching. They start to say, hold on, this guy is asking for for a lot. Uh, Some people are saying, I I don't know if I like where this is going. He's he's taking it too far, some people would say. In Matthew chapter 16, where we read, we are on the cusp of that third year, on on the cusp of the year of adversity. And Jesus and His disciples have just been through this amazing year full of miracles and crowds of people uh, watching and listening. But Jesus knows what's coming next. He knows that things aren't going to get easier moving forward. In fact, if you have been reading ahead, you know that just after the passage that we read, Jesus starts talking to His disciples about His death. He's saying, I'm going to die. I'm going to have to leave you guys. But for now, He and His disciples travel to Caesarea Philippi. I'm not sure why, but I kind of picture the disciples 
walking together and chatting with one another. Maybe there's a few different conversations going on, and then all of a sudden Jesus stops, and everyone goes silent. And He asks them, who do people say that I am? Now, they've heard the rumors, and they know what people think. So they answer Him honestly, and they say, well, some think you're John the baptizer. Um, some think that you know, you're Elijah. Some think you're Jeremiah, and so on and so forth. Now, I just want to pause here and say that if that were me, this would be a huge compliment. Imagine being mistaken for such great prophets and preachers as John and Elijah, Jeremiah, but to Jesus, this was an insult. He's not just a prophet. He's so much more, so much more than that. So he asks them, who do you think that I am? And as Peter opens his mouth to answer, I can almost see the eyes rolling. Uh-oh, here, here he goes again. Here goes Peter to make a fool of himself, to speak before he thinks. But instead, he makes a confession so true and so bold that I imagine their jaws probably hit the ground. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're the one that we've been waiting for. You're the Messiah. And Jesus answers him in verse 18 saying, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. He says, I'm going to build my church using this confession as the foundation. And this morning, if, if you've been baptized for the remission of sins, you've made this confession. I've made this confession. Every Christian who has ever added to the kingdom of Christ has made the same confession. The church is built on it. Jesus, you, you are who you say you are. You are the Son of the living God. You are the Messiah. You know, a lot of people have uh, a concerning attitude towards Jesus. They say things like, more Jesus, less religion. Um, I want to know Jesus, but I don't have to do it through going to church. I don't need to go to church to do that. And something that's interesting about this passage that we read is that this is a discussion about the identity of Jesus. They're, they're walking together and they're talking about who Jesus is. And immediately after Peter demonstrated his, his correct understanding of who Jesus is, Jesus wants to tell them about his church that he's going to build. Isn't that fascinating? That Jesus seems to care quite a bit about this church that he says he's going to build. And if we are truly interested in getting to know him, that alone should cause us to want to know about his church. This morning, I want to talk a little more about this church. But first, let's go to God in a word of prayer. There are so many different ways that the scriptures describe Christ's church. Um, and if we were to go over them all, uh, I'd have to be preaching for probably a couple hours. Uh, this morning, I just want to focus in on one in particular, and that is the, the scripture's definition of the church as the body of Christ. In Ephesians 1, verses 22 and 23, the Apostle Paul says it like this. 
And he put all things under his feet, he being God, his being Christ, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. First of all, we need to understand the relationship that Jesus has to his body. Paul says that God gave Jesus to be the head over all things to the church. The church is a body and Jesus is the head. He's our leader. He commands and we follow. And moreover, when a body does something that the head doesn't command, uh, that's not normal. We call that a spasm. It's, It's bad. That's a bad thing. And equally as bad is if the body doesn't do something that the head does command. We call that paralysis. It's also not normal. It's also a bad thing. And look what Paul says again. He says that God gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Let's take careful notice to those two little words. Jesus is not only the head of his body. He's the head over all things having to do with the body. Friends, there is no earthly head of Christ's church. Christ's church has no earthly hierarchy. The body of Christ is not a hydra. There's one head. It's Jesus. And there is no conference of men who gather together and decide what the body should do. There's no HQ There's nothing going on behind the scenes. Christ's church is like a human body. It has joints called congregations where individual members are attached. Uh, The foot isn't subject to the ankle and the hand isn't subject to the elbow. All of the body's joints and members, they all follow and respond to the same set of orders that come from the same head. I've been reading this book lately. It's Fearfully and Wonderfully Made by Dr. Paul Brand and Philip Yancey. And in it, Dr. Paul Brand takes a look at the body of Christ at a cellular level. Individual members of the body of Christ, he says, are like individual cells in the human body. And uh, when a cell chooses to stop following the head's orders, well... You know what we call that? We call that a a cancerous cell. And it's a cancer, and it begins to spread, and it forms a tumor, and it damages the body. This is how false doctrine works. Paul writes in Colossians 2, 18 and 19, "...let no one cheat you out of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels," which we're going to talk about this afternoon." intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. All of the interpretation and the understanding that you have of the world around you happens inside your head. Friends, Christ's church is the same way. How do we know what to do? Our head tells us. How do we know what's happening around us? 
Our head tells us. How do we know where there's danger or where it's safe to go? Our head tells us. Jesus knows. He sees everything. And He understands what's important and what isn't. He can see the way forward. And He guides the body around obstacles if we'll be a responsive body and listen to His commands. And so the Scriptures say we have the mind of Christ. If you remember, we read about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. How do we have the mind of Christ? It's revealed to us in the Bible. That's our set of orders. Our head is communicating with us. Are we responding? Are we functioning properly or are we paralyzed? Are we spasming? The only way to know is by listening to the head, by reading the Scriptures and following their command. This is how we function as a healthy and responsive body. This is how we grow, and this is how we're nourished, and we avoid harm. We listen to our head. There is one way that the body of Christ differs from a physical body, and that's, of course, in a physical body, all the members uh, have been there from birth. Uh, but that isn't the case with the body of Christ. We have to choose to join the body of Christ. And how do we do that? How, how can this be done? Well, you know, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 14. There he says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. There it is. Paul says that we join the body of Christ through baptism. Friends, I can't make it any clearer than that. And what that means is that until you are baptized into the body of Christ, you are disconnected from it. You can't share in its joys. You can try to follow the head, and you can try to listen to those commands, but ultimately, you are clinging on to a body that you have no real connection to. You can only hold on for so long. If you want to stay connected to the body, if you want to end up where the body is headed, then you need to become a part of it. Paul says you need to be baptized into it. Okay, so now you've been baptized. You've been added to the body of Christ. What next? What do we do now? One of the main things the Bible emphasizes when it talks about the body of Christ or when it talks about the church as if it's a body is that its members need to be working. There's work to do. Look at Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. I'll let you turn there with me. Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. It says, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. As God has dealt to each one a measure of faith, 
For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, uh, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Guess what? You may not like it, but if you want to be considered a functioning member of the body of Christ, there is work to do. Healthy body parts do work. And much like a human body, not every member does the same job. We all have different talents, different inclinations. How are you using your skill set to work for the body? Are you using your skill set to work for the body? And if not, then why not? The body needs you. It is crippled without you. What are you doing to help? I want you to stop and think about something for a moment. Stop and think about what it takes to keep a local congregation functioning. What jobs are needed? How many jobs? are required to get a body moving and to nourish it, to keep it growing? What kind of jobs does it take to maintain a congregation? You know, when you start thinking about all the jobs that are required to keep a local congregation alive, it's a big list, and it starts to add up real quick. There's a lot of jobs, a lot of things that can be done. So what's your role? What are you doing to help? Are you doing anything to help? Are you, or are you suffering from spiritual paralysis? If that's the case, then who's dragging you? That may sound harsh, but if your heart is stinging at that thought, maybe it's time to step up. Maybe it's time to see what you can do to ask, how can I be of aid to the body? How can, I, how can I wake from this spiritual paralysis? How can I keep from just being dragged along the ride? Let's not end it on a harsh note, because I've got some really good news for you. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, the Apostle Paul mentions the idea that Jesus is the Savior of the body. That's right, friends. This body that we're a part of, this body that we're all individually members of, or even, if you, if you, if you will, uh, take it further, even than Paul takes it, individually cells of. Um, it's going somewhere. It's not just wandering around aimlessly, it's headed somewhere. It's got a destination, and it's headed for glory. This morning, those who are faithfully serving the body of Christ have a guarantee in the Scriptures that on the last day, Jesus will be our Savior. 
Jesus, uh, the head, is bringing His body to glory with Him. It's, he's directing His body and He's giving us all the necessary orders. Um, and if we are a functioning body, if we are a well and healthy body, then we'll be following those orders and it won't be hard. We'll, we'll make it there. Are you attached to the body? If you're not, let's get you attached. If you are, are you working? What are you doing? If not, we can find something for you to do. We can find a job for you to be doing. Let's assess our, our individual skills. Let's see, am I, am I a foot? Am I a hand? Am I an elbow? And let's see, what can I be doing? What's my, what's my skill set? How can I use it to help the body get to where it's going? 